a part of, meaning attached to. So we saw that the number one identifier for his church, his church, just because the sign says church and just because they call themselves church, uh, uh, that doesn't make it church. Remember we said a couple weeks ago that the, the biggest goal that we should have in reading the word, studying the word of God is to get God's definition because the Bible says that we are to rightly divide the word of truth. That means that we can wrongly divide it. That means we could actually read the Bible and get the wrong perception, the wrong perspective. And that's why we have so many denominations. That's why we have so many different religions and so many different belief systems is because we need to take more time and spend more time focusing on what was God's definition when he read it, not what does it mean to me or when he wrote it, not what does it mean to me as I read it. What what did God mean when he wrote it? Not what does it mean to me when I read it. And see, when you read it, there's all kinds of different things going on. In fact, you could read a verse last year and something be going on in your life and get one thing and then read it again this year and get something completely different. Why? Because my environment, my surroundings, my, my circumstances, they're different now. And so I always want to read the word of God through his perception, through his perspective. That's called rightly dividing the word of truth. And that doesn't come by accident. That doesn't come by accident. You don't rightly divide the word by picking up your Bible once a week, uh, you know, just bringing it to church and dusting it off. You rightly divide the word by getting in it, by giving attention to it, by valuing it and studying it and spending time in God's word. So we have to learn to rightly divide the word because his definitions aren't always our definitions. For example, love. The world has a definition of love and what they think true love is. And that's why we have junior hires and middle school students thinking, well, they're in love. We're, we're in love. We're going to be together forever. I got some bad news for you. No, you're not. You got about a one in a thousand chance that you're going to marry that person. We all know those things change. But going by the world's definition of love, world's definition of love is if you love me, you'll do this for me. God's definition of love is if I love you, I will do this for you. Love is about giving, not receiving. Okay, so very clear. That's probably one of the easiest examples I can give you of the world's definition of something versus God's definition. When you go through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you find out what love does. People will, will want to come up with a different word for it. Well, that, that's not love. No, love gives. Love covers Love doesn't uh, hold a suffered wrong. Love uh, covers people and, and doesn't sell people out. Love is always in a posture of doing something for someone else, not, well, if you love me, you'll do this for me. Well, it's the same, we have the same problem with the word church because when I say church, you think of the place that you go to between 10 and 12 Sunday morning and where you congregate and, you know, we sing a few songs and then we hear the word and, and we give uh, you know, tithe and offering, and then we go home. But that's not what Jesus meant when he said the word church. It's not what he said at all. In fact, uh, church wasn't a place, wasn't a, a place to come congregate. It was the people that went out. The word church is the Greek word ekklesia or ecclesia, however you want to say it. And that word literally meant called out ones. Those that gathered 
and they were called out from where they were at. Well, that sounds a lot like light in darkness to me, which is what Jesus called us. I mean, light is called out from darkness. You, you, you can't, where's the light? Where is it? No, when light shows up, you know it's there. Everything becomes clear. Everything becomes identified because that's what light does. You can, light can't hide in darkness. Darkness never wins. Light will always trump darkness. And you, you don't have to, you, you can't turn the darkness up to try to turn out the light. When light's there, it's there. And so that's the church. The church was a people. The church was not a place. The church wasn't, well, I'm going to church. It was, I am going to be the church. And so that's what we've been learning about. We've got to get his definition of my church because unless we have his definition, then we're not going to do what he said the church should be doing. I don't know how many of you remember our series on purpose. We talked about purpose, and we said, until you understand the purpose of something, you will always abuse it. Until you understand the purpose for Advil, you will abuse it. Until you understand the purpose for a cell phone, you will abuse it. Until you understand the purpose for your job, you will abuse it. Until you understand the purpose for friends, you will abuse it. Until you understand the purpose for your children, you will abuse them. Abuse is inevitable when we don't understand the purpose for something. And people for years have been abusing church because we didn't know the purpose. So we have to discover the purpose. Before I can give you the purpose, we've been spending this time looking at what does it look like? What does the church look like? The first thing we saw is that the church is the body of Christ. We saw, we went through several verses. If you've missed any, you definitely want to go back and get the CDs, go online and listen. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. We saw it in Ephesians chapter 1, saw it in Ephesians chapter uh, 2, saw it in Ephesians chapter 4, saw it in Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is the head. We are the body. Jesus is the head. We are the body. So the first connection the church has to make is the body to the head. And remember we said if a body without a head is dead. If you don't have a head, you're dead. You, you, you can't operate. So the number one thing that we need to look for in a church to be the church is we have to be connected to the head. Well, when we say Jesus, here's another twist that I need to make. When we say Jesus, you are probably thinking about the man with long hair and a beard that walked the earth for 33 days or 33 years. That's who you're thinking about when I say Jesus. But that was actually a very small sliver of time in Jesus' existence because John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Then we go on down to verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Then we get the man, Jesus. But before Jesus was the man in the earth, he was the word in the spirit. And he's always existed. So how can we know if it's his church? The church will be connected to the word of God. The first, identif the first identifier, first, week, first way we can identify. If we are rallied around media, if we're rallied around our show and our presentation, if we're rallied around uh, you know, video clips and all these different things, then, and we're not centered around the word and that's not our focus, 
and we don't hold true to the word and all the word, nothing but the word, like Paul said uh, right before he went on, he was able to look at his leaders and said, I thank God that I did not hold back all the counsel of God. So I gave it to you all, whether it offended you or not, whether it made you happy or sad, whether, whether it, it, it made you angry or you rejoice. I gave you the full counsel of the word of God. So that was the first identifier. The second identifier that we saw last week was we have to be connected to each other. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we are the body of Christ, and the body of Christ has many members. And I love that Paul used our bodies because we all have a body, and we can all look at our bodies and see how they operate. And if any part of our body gets out of line or doesn't work together, what do we do? Go to the doctor. Take something to get that working back. If our immune system isn't working properly, then we go get it checked out. If we have a a, a, a part of our body that isn't working properly, we go to the doctor and get it diagnosed. What do we need to do? Do we need a procedure to fix it? I told you all last week about my finger. When I broke it, it was out of place. So I had to, one, get it set, and then I needed to go and see what do I need to do so I can get it working back at full potential. I didn't take all the steps, so it's not working at full potential. That's something I have to live with for the rest of my life. It works, but it doesn't do everything it's supposed to do. So we saw last week that if a part of the body is out of place, we said, you know, a body without a head is dead, but a body without each other is paralyzed. It's paralyzed. Remember, we're all leading to purpose. If I show you that a body without a head is dead and a body without each other is paralyzed, then when we get to purpose, you'll realize we have to have a head and we have to be working together or else we're not going to fulfill our purpose. Okay? So we, that's to get us caught up a little bit. Today we're going to take a little bit of a turn. To the, today's message is entitled, A Government Entity. We're going to look at the kingdom. How does the church play a role in the kingdom of God? And as you know, just about every series I do, I always end up going here. But go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We've got to go to the beginning. We got to go to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. We've heard it many times. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. In his image, according to his likeness. That means ha having and bearing his characteristics, his way of thinking, his way of responding. His way of doing things. Man had that. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we know this. When God created man, when he created the earth, earth was an extension of heaven. God is a king. He's our father. He's the creator of the universe. But he is our king. And he is a king. And he ruled in a heavenly kingdom. And he wanted to extend that kingdom, as all kings do. They want to extend and they want to gain territory. And so he created the earth and he wanted the earth to be a seen, natural extension of the unseen spiritual realm, heaven. And the Garden of Eden was that. We call it paradise. 
That's what we think the Garden of Eden was. You know, we think of, we think of paradise as just laying around and, you know, not having to do anything. It's just one big, long vacation. But if you actually look at God's instructions to Adam and Eve, it was to tend the garden, keep the garden, guard it. That means keep things out that don't belong in there. So they had, uh, they, they had jobs, titles. They had uh, 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 work to do in the garden. And then God here gives man, Adam and Eve, dominion. And that word dominion means to govern, means to rule, means to have control. So God creates the earth, creates man, puts him in the earth, and immediately delegates his authority to Adam and Eve to rule, control, and govern the earth. God was right then doing nothing in the earth without using man. Adam and Eve, they weren't to rule it and control it however they pleased. They were to rule it and control it how God wanted them to rule it. How God would rule in heaven, that's how he wanted Adam and Eve to rule on the earth. And that's why he created them in his image, in his likeness. He's saying, look, I want you to rule uh, on the earth the way I rule in heaven, and I'm going to make you just like I am so you have the ability. So they could never look at God and say, well, we're not like you and we can't do this. No, they were just like God in the sense that they had the ability to rule, govern, and control on the earth. You've heard me say before, and this is just an eye-opener, if God had created man and made Genesis 1.26, made that statement on any other day, then Adam and Eve, Adam at this time, he would have finished creation. He would have had to. God did everything in the first five days because he had no one else to do it. But as soon as he put Adam and Eve on the earth and gives them authority, now they're in charge. So who names the animals? Adam. Who's told to tend it, guard it, and keep it? Adam. Because they're the ones in charge now. God's not doing it. They can't look at God and say, God, you know, make, this, make, make this fruit grow. Make this tree reproduce after its own kind. Well, what, what should this one be called? God's saying, you're in charge. Okay? We know this. So we saw just two chapters later, didn't make it very far, Adam and Eve are confronted by a snake, the serpent. And he's after one thing. He's not after heaven. Adam and Eve weren't chasing around heaven in the garden. They weren't walking around wondering when's God coming back, when Jesus is going to come back and die on the cross and save us. They had no sins. They were perfect people. And they weren't wandering around looking, well, I wonder when they're gonna, wonder when we get to go back to heaven because they weren't created in heaven. They never knew heaven. Their only mentality was getting heaven in the earth. That was it. That was their mindset. If Adam and Eve had not eaten the fruit of the tree, where would they be today? Right here. Where else are they going to go? Nothing changed their course of working and operating in the earth. Nothing brought that separation until sin. And we've said before that sin is disobedience to the word of the king. That's what sin is. We, we put labels on it. We make them greater or higher than others, but it's all disobedience. If you cheat on a test or cheat on your wife, it's sin. It's disobedience to the word of the king. So they committed treason against the king and the kingdom of God, and they disobeyed their God, and they handed over their authority. They didn't lose heaven. 
because they never had it to begin with. They lost authority, dominion, and control in the earth. That's what Adam and Eve lost. And we've seen this before. So for the rest of the Old Testament, God is trying to get his authority back into the earth. But we've got a problem. Because back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God handed over authority to man. So God can't just come back and get the earth back. The thing that God loved and created as an extension of himself was in the hands of his very enemy. And he couldn't do anything to get it back without using a man. Because, see, God is a king. And when a king says something, it has to be that way. There's nothing they can do about it. Well, I thought kings are all powerful. The most powerful thing for a king is his word. And if he breaks his word, he's no good. We saw King Darius with Daniel and Daniel in the lion's den. And he made a decree that ended up putting his friend in danger of going to the lion's den. And there wasn't anything he could do about it. Because he already made the law. He already decreed the law is, do not worship anybody else but me. He was tricked. But that was the law, and Daniel had to go to the lion's den. Why? Because he's a king, and he can't take it back. There's nothing he can do. God being a king, when he says something, it has to happen, which is the most awesome thing in the world, because when he promises you something, it has to come to pass. There's nothing that can alter that. It has to happen. That's his word on it. And that's why it says that his word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can't say that about each other. We can't say that about our employers. We can't say that about our friends, even our own family. Your word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I wish we could say that. But no, we have the potential and the ability to break our word. But God can't. God can't go back. So the only way he can get the earth back in man's hands, the way it was in the beginning, his original intent, is to get a man in the earth to get that dominion and that control. And so who's he looking for? A righteous person. He finds Noah, the only righteous man. He finds Abraham, someone that believed him at his word and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He finds Moses. God didn't part the Red Sea by himself. He used a man. God didn't get the descendants or or get the Israelites back into Canaan. He found a man. God didn't kill Goliath. He found a man. All throughout history, he's using mankind. But then he realizes there's only one person that can save man from their sin and get the kingdom back in the earth. And that's me. But the Bible says that God is spirit. God is a spirit. So how is God going to get in the earth to restore the kingdom if he's only a spirit and he doesn't have a flesh suit like you and I? He's going to have to put himself in flesh. And that's where Jesus comes. So Jesus comes. And Jesus did not come to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus did not come to get us to heaven. It was not his purpose. You won't find that anywhere in the New Testament. Did those things happen? Absolutely. 
Will we go to heaven? Yes. Did he die on the cross for our sins? Sure did. But what was the purpose of those things? See, you got to be like a kid. That's why he said you got to have childlike faith. What is the, what's the kid's favorite question? Why? They always want to know why. Well, why did Jesus die on the cross for our sins? Well, why did he have to die for our sins? Because we sinned. Well, why do we have to have our sins taken away? You got to ask the questions. And we've stopped at the surface. Why did Jesus come? Oh, he died on the cross so we could go to heaven. And then we stopped. But those weren't that none of that was Jesus's purpose. Those were assignments that accomplished the overall purpose. But that wasn't the purpose. The cross was not the purpose. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, the first time Jesus shows up in the planet, he says, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." And that was the forefront of his entire ministry. He talked about the cross only with his disciples. He never preached about the cross. You won't see him on the Sermon on the Mount, the, the longest sermon in the Bible, Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, and you won't see anywhere where he's saying, and I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to save you from your sins, and then uh, I'm going to rise again so you can have eternal life and live with me in, in heaven. He didn't say that. He said, blessed are those who... For they will receive the kingdom. Blessed are those. And then he talked about the kingdom of God is like this. And the kingdom of God is like that. And the, this parable is about the kingdom. And this man was like a kingdom. That's all he talked about was the kingdom of God. He never talked about being born again. Preached about it. Never did. He talked about being born again with one person, a Pharisee, in the middle of the night. One on one. And the guy didn't even understand what he was saying anyway. <laughs> he never preached about it. All he preached about was the kingdom of God. Why am I talking about what Jesus did? Because we are the body of Christ. And the first thing we have to understand to be his church is if Jesus' forefront perspective of his life and for reason for being in the earth was the kingdom, then the church's perspective has to be the kingdom period we can't be his church and have two different wills see your body can't have two different wills you can't have a will in your head and your body say nope not doing it if that ever happens you go in to get it checked out because that's abnormal our bodies should always want to do what the head says to do. I mean, we've already seen that without your body, you can do nothing. You can want to do all you want. You can want to get up and go to the bathroom all you want. But if your body does not move and take you there, you are not going to the bathroom. You have to have the body. Jesus has to have his body. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and his body is in the earth today in the form of his church as who we are. So go to Matthew. No, let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. I want to show you Jesus' purpose. This is one of our favorite Christmas verses. We look at this in December. 
sometime between December 1st and December 25th, and then we never look at it again. <coughs> but it says, for unto us a child is born. Child is capitalized, so we're not just talking about any child. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And watch this. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is talking about Jesus. We all know this. But we've missed the fact that Jesus came as a government official, not a religious person. Jesus came back to restore a government in the earth. I'm going to tell you right now, this might be surprising to you with everything that we see in our government today, but government is the answer for the world today. <laughs> government is the answer. We just are putting our trust in the wrong kind of government. But government is the answer. And that's what Jesus came back to bring was a government called a kingdom. Not a democracy, not a republic, a kingdom where the king says a word and you do it because it's life to you. He says, my words bring life. My, lo my words are peace. You know people are looking for life right now. Our world is looking for peace right now. And the only one that can offer that is God. His words are life. His words are peace. And he says, if you just do what I tell you to do. Well, that sounds like a, like someone that just wants to control and rule over people. No, because he doesn't make you. He's not a dictator. He's not a dictator. He's not beating you down if you don't do it. Well, he'll, he'll put cancer on your body if you don't do it. No. Nope. You just open your up. You just open yourself up to the one who has cancer as a resource, the enemy, because his words are life. His words bring peace. And that's our king. So Jesus came back to restore a government, to restore the kingdom back into the earth. And so he goes to the cross to get sin out of you. Because you can't be in the kingdom with sin. He makes a way to get back into the kingdom to become righteous once again. And now we can rule and reign on the earth. Now we don't see the kingdom uh, in the earth like we did in the Garden of Eden. Because it has not fully come. But the kingdom has come because Jesus says it's not here or there. But the kingdom of God is within you. Which means everywhere you go the kingdom goes. But it also means if you aren't influencing the earth with the kingdom, then it's not getting done. Because, again, God's not doing anything without using mankind. This is important because we're talking about my church. We're talking about his church, the church that Jesus is building. And the church that Jesus is building is a government entity, is a church with power, not powerless. This is probably... Uh, the, these next few messages, and I told you we're going to go for a while on my church. 
Right now, I see us going into March with it. But it's important. This is, this is how God instructed me uh, for Anchor Faith Church to start off 2013, was identifying what his church looks like so we can be his church. Will, would you mind bumping that down to about 70 for me? We want to be his church this year. And so that's why we're taking this time to look at it. And these will be some of the most, uh, I, don't, I, want, I don't want to say confrontational, but I think it's going to be eye-opening. Because the church, that the, the, the definition that the world has for church is not the definition Jesus has. When he said, I will build my church, he was talking about something different than what we see today. We see a church that's powerless. We see a church that's uh, different. We see a church that is separated instead of together. When you look at how many times the church is identified by unity in the Bible, yet that seems to be the hardest thing to come by for churches today, is becoming unified. We want unity. Well, what does unity look like? We need to take a look at that. So look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. We've been focusing on verse 18, but now we're going to focus on verse 19. We're going to turn a corner. Verse 18, he's talking about, I will build my church. And I could really break down build, too, and look at what an architect looks like and what that means to build. But we're going to move on to the authority side. And verse 19 says, and I will give you, the church, he just mentioned the church, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want to look at this first word. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The first thing we need to know is that keys denote authority. That's what he means by when I say, I will give you the keys. By giving you the keys, he has given you the authority, the access, the keys. Of the kingdom of heaven. And look, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So look here. Whatever we do in this realm, heaven is backing us up and reciprocating in that realm. It first takes place with us in the earth. That's where it first takes place. We have the power, the authority, to bind and to loose. Those words mean to allow or disallow. I heard one minister say that nothing in the earth should be taking place without the church's permission. The shooting that took place in December shouldn't have taken place without the church's permission. The things that we read about and see and hear about, it shouldn't be taking place without the church's permission. And this world is getting darker, is getting further away. The end is coming near, but the church still has a position. Again, darkness will never overtake light. It doesn't matter how dark it gets. Have you ever noticed? I mean, you can never be somewhere that it is so dark that the light it's just not working. I just can't get the light to work. It never went. I mean, you can be in a place that's so dark where you can't even see your hand in front of your, pla- in your, in front of your face. But as soon as a light comes on, 
the darkness is eradicated. The world is getting darker and will get darker until Jesus comes. But we are the light in darkness. Well, the, the, the church, you know, we just can't seem to make any headway because the world is just so dark. That's impossible. I heard someone say, the only way light, the, the only way darkness wins is if light isn't working. If light isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. So as a church, we have to be that light in darkness. And so the binding and the loosing, the allowing and not allowing, it has to be working and it has to be working through us. See, that's why we started praying in January on Tuesday nights, which that's over now. God just told me that was for January. And I believe that we're making some headway in this community with prayer. And there's more that we will do. There's things that we'll actually put our hand to. We can come and pray. We will be doing that. But there's things that we can actually be putting our hand to. But that's why we came and did that. Because if we're not doing anything, who is? And when you understand your authority in the earth, when you understand the power of prayer, and we can bind things and loose things, we can allow the Spirit of God into the earth, and we cannot allow what the enemy's doing, then it's time to show up and pray. It's time to show up and do things that influence this realm for the kingdom of God. So we see here, and this is the first time Jesus mentions the church. The first time. Notice that the first time he mentions the church, it's in regards to power and authority. He doesn't say anything about meeting on Sunday and doing good things and having a pastor. Those are all entities of it. But the first thing he mentions is, I'm going to build my church. And my church is going to have so much power that they will actually bind and loose on the earth and heaven will back us up and the gates of hell won't even prevail against the church. It won't win because darkness never wins. The first time Jesus mentions the church, it's in regards to the authority and to the power. Now here's what he's doing. Here's what he's doing. Because who's giving the keys of the kingdom? Who's giving the keys? In, in this verse, he says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. So who's I? Jesus. Jesus, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Jesus is speaking. It's in red. If you have one of those Bibles, Jesus is speaking and Jesus says, I will give you. So here's what he's doing. Because how many of you would agree Jesus had authority in the earth? We would all agree? Okay. Okay. Did, did, uh, did a storm ever beat him? Okay. Did a demon ever beat him? Did a uh, dead person ever beat him? A paralyzed person? A deaf person? A blind person? Leprosy? They never won. So Jesus had authority in the earth. He had the authority that Adam and Eve were supposed to be operating with. He was the second Adam, as the Bible calls him. So he had authority. Here's what he's doing. 
Jesus is passing his authority to his church. Jesus is passing his authority to his church. That's what he's doing in this verse. He's saying, I have authority. I have power. You can't give away something you don't have. He can't say, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven if he doesn't have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I can look at Tommy and say, I will give you $100,000. But I don't have $100,000. So that means nothing to him. But I can give you $5. (laughs) All right. And I have that. Jesus can't give away something that doesn't belong to him. So he is a person of authority. He is a person that is operating on the the earth with the power of heaven backing him everywhere he goes. And then here in Matthew 16, verse 19, he says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He is passing his authority to his church, his body. See, this is why it's so important to understand what his church looks like, because if you're not his church, you don't get his authority. If we're not his church that he is building, then we don't have his authority. He is only giving his authority to his body. If you are disconnected from the head, you're not his body, Therefore, you are not getting his authority and his power. If we're going to be a church in power, we have to be his church. Not the church, not a church, his church. His church walks in his authority and his power. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We know these verses. We could probably say them all together by heart it's called the lord's prayer and in verse 9 he says our father in heaven where in heaven how would be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray and this is what he comes up with our father who is in heaven That's where he is. That's where God is. How would be your name? Your kingdom stay in heaven and take us there. No, it's not what he's saying. He's saying your kingdom come, your will be done. And here's where we go, your will. Your will. We all have a will. We just talked about this. Will is not implemented without action. We can will to do things all we want. We can will to go back to school. We can will to get a new job. We can will to start a business. We can will to be a better parent. But until we start implementing action, never gets done. So God has a will. And he is in an unseen realm called heaven. He has a will for the earth, and he needs to get it implemented. Well, what part of this frame implements? This 
or this. I will here, and I implement here. I want to eat, I will to eat here, but I eat here and my body digests it and turns it into energy and turns it into nutrition to keep me going. You can will to start running this year, but the running actually takes place down here. The will's here. The want to's here. God can want to all day long, but without a body to implement the action, it doesn't happen. And so Jesus says, if you're going to pray, pray like this. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means make, we want the earth to look like heaven. That should be our prayer. That should be our prayer. What the way you do things there, I want to see it done here. There's no sickness there, then there's no sickness here. You're the provider there, and you're the provider here. We got to get this because the church is the one that is implementing. We are the implementers. We are the ones putting into action the will that God has. Jesus is the head. We are the body. So Jesus has a will being in heaven for his body. See, when Jesus was on the earth, that was easy. Three years he walked around. He was the head and the body. He was the head and the body. Luke chapter 9. Some of you uh, may have heard this passage. I'm just throwing it out there. I, I don't have it in there. So I'm just throwing it out there. And Jesus makes a statement. Someone said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And we have taken that verse, and that means that Jesus was poor and needy and didn't even have a place to sleep and didn't even have a place to live, and I, I can trample all over that. You don't have a treasurer working for you if you only have a few coins in your little bucket. And you don't have a treasurer that's stealing from you like Judas was if you've only got a few. Oh, look, there's a dime missing. <laughs> that doesn't work that way. Hey, someone took a quarter out of there. No, Jesus was doing all right because he had a provider and he had a source. Actually, what he's saying there, watch this. He says, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. My head. I don't have a body in the earth to put my authority and rulership on. That's what he's actually saying. If you go back and you look through the Greek, he's saying, there is no body in the earth that I can put my head on to will and to rule and have a body carry it out. He said, I am the body. Foxes have holes. Foxes have a place that they rule over. That's their domain. Birds have nests. You have a house. 
You own a business. That's your place of authority. That's where you lay your headship. That's where you lay your rulership. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He has no body in the earth to put his head and carry out what the head wants to do. That's what he's saying. But then he says in Matthew chapter 16, I'm building my church. My church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that church, I will give to them the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give them all authority and all power from heaven to rule in the earth. And so whatever they bind on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. And whatever they loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. If we're not doing it in the earth, it's not getting done in heaven. That is what verse 19 says. Look, you can think that God is working without you doing anything all you want. But if that's the case, then why pray? That's one of my favorite questions to ask people that want to go there. Well, God is sovereign. And God, he can do whatever he wants to do. And he doesn't need us. You know, we're just, we're just merciful. We're, he's just gracious and merciful to allow us into his kingdom. And then they make me out to be an arrogant, big-headed person. Well, you think God has to use you. God has to work through you. God couldn't do anything without you. You sit idly by and all this stuff happens while I will do some binding and loosing, some allowing and not allowing. But if that's the case, then why do I need to pray? Why do I need to pray for this sickness to go away? Why do I need to pray for people? Why do I need to pray for a new job? If God's doing whatever he wants to anyways, why, do I, why should I waste my time? But yet Jesus identifies his disciples coming and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Why? Because that's the thing Jesus spent the most time doing. Lord, teach us to pray. Because you're doing it a lot. You spend a lot of time in prayer. And you're getting results. Things are happening. So apparently this thing is working. Teach us to pray. And he says, okay, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, how would be your name? Your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth like you do it in heaven. Why? Because the church that prays is a church in power, is a church that is identified with authority. Because you're the one that causes God's will to take place in the earth. That's his church. And I will give to the church the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20. I want to take a look at a term here. And I'm breaking this up. There's no way that I could preach on the authority and the power of the church in one service. There's no way. But we have to talk about the authority because today we see a church that's powerless. Today we see a church that is just as uh, undecided on situations in our nation as the nation is. 
We have to come together and we have to figure out what the church is supposed to look like so we can operate as the church. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20, Paul says, For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. For which I am an ambassador in chains. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. You don't have to turn there, but it's another verse that says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The key word I want to pull out of both verses is an ambassador. The title of this message is, We Are a Government Entity. Ambassador is not a religious word. Most of you know that. There's a lot of words that are in the Bible that we think are religious, but they're really not. They're actually kingdom. The word righteous, it's not a religious word. Righteous means to be in right alignment with the authority. You can be righteous by going down here, and when you get to that stoplight, stop. That is a righteous act. You are in righteousness. You are in alignment with the law in the state of Georgia. You are unrighteous if you blow through it. It's 45 out here. If you are going 46, you are unrighteous. If you're going 45 or under, you are righteous. That is the law in Valdosta in Lowndes County for Highway 84 in this area. That strip right there is a certain, it has a speed limit, which means that is how high you can go. Once you go over that, you are unrighteous. So that's not a religious term at all. It's a kingdom term. So this word ambassador, what is that? An ambassador is one who represents a ruling authority. He's a representative. An ambassador is a representative. It's one who, rule, who uh, represents a nation, a ruling authority, not just a person but actually a whole other nation or country. We have ambassadors for the United States in other countries right now. This term is very important. Paul did not just throw this out there. We are, you know, we're like ambassadors. I mean, he wasn't just writing and, you know, was sitting around his jail cell and saw a word and said, oh, an ambassador, that's a good one. We're an ambassador. No, he knew we are in a government, in a kingdom, and we actually are representatives of that kingdom. This is what an ambassador does. An ambassador represents a, a, a ruling authority. See, here's the thing is when an ambassador is overseas, President Obama doesn't have to be there. That's why we have ambassadors. See, God doesn't have to be in the earth. God is everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. He's omniscient, omnipotent. But to get things done in this seen realm, he needs someone to work through, someone to operate through, and that's you and I. That's the church. I'll take this a step further. That's not just for saved people. It's not just for people that are born again. Because if you're not a part of his church, then you don't operate in this. 
This isn't for people that wander from church to church and go, uh, you know, get a little bit here and get a little bit there and go a little, get a little bit here and, you know, just everybody's their home church. And they're just one of those people that just travel through. Well, this is where God's placed me for now. No, you get fixed. You get set. God relocates people and reassigns people, sure, in the universal church. But there's a setting and there's a getting fixed in. This isn't, you know, one Sunday I'm here and then one Sunday I'm there. Oh, they're they're having this special speaker at this church, so I'm going to go over here. That's not the church. The church is fixed and set. We'll take a look at all that. But his church is the one that the power and the authority has been given to. And his church is the ambassador, the representative for the kingdom of God and for God himself. See, the United States ambassadors that that we have in other nations right now, they represent the United States of America, not just President Obama. Our rights and privileges, the way we do things, that's what they're over there representing. So here's a few things to note about ambassadors. The first thing is they don't have their own opinion. They do not have an opinion at all. If you are an ambassador for the United States of America, you don't look at a delegate from another nation and say, well, you know what? Now, this is how the United States does it, but I think we could do it this way. You know, I think if we just tweak this and, you know, I, I really like this idea better. Nope. They only speak in a line with the nation that they are representing. Period. They don't have an opinion. The second thing for an ambassador, they don't have a will outside of their home country. They don't have a want to. Well, I want to do it this way. Or I feel like doing this. No, their opinions are gone. And their will lines up with the country they represent. Otherwise, you don't make a very good ambassador. You're not an ambassador to yourself. You're an ambassador to the United States of America. You're an ambassador to the kingdom of God. So first thing is you don't have an opinion. And people want to ask you, well, how do you see the whole, uh, you know, homosexual issue that's going on in the nation? Well, you know what? I don't have an opinion. But I'll tell you what my king says. I tell you what my God says. I tell you what the kingdom of God, what the, his stance is on it. I don't have an opinion on the matter. And they want to pin it on you, but I'm only taking you to what God says. Which means we have all the more value to learn what he says. Because you don't want to misrepresent God either. So we need to learn what he says about it. And then that's all that matters. I don't have an opinion. I don't, I'm not even going to tell you what I think about it because the only thing I think is what my king thinks because I'm an ambassador. I'm a representative. I don't have a will. I don't do what I want to do. I don't go where I want to go. I don't say what I want to say. Sounds a lot like Jesus. He says, I'm not here on my own initiative. I'm not here to do what I want to do, say what I want to say, go where I want to go. I am led by my Father. I am here to do His will. Why? Because Jesus was in the earth as an ambassador and as a representative of heaven. 
of his father. What did he say? If you have seen me, you've seen the... That's a pretty good ambassador. That's a pretty good representative. If you've seen me, then you've seen my father. Because I only do what he wants me to do. I only say what he wants me to say. So he was an ambassador. He was a representative. Here's another one. This is really good. Ambassadors are not limited to the resources of their current surroundings. We have ambassadors in some of the poorest nations on the planet, but they don't know it. You go to an embassy, and it's the sharpest looking place in those nations. The grass is cut, it's green, the buildings are furnished and look good. And the ambassadors, they are not limited to their current surroundings. The economy can fail in that nation, but that nation's not their source. Come on, you got to get this now. That nation is not their source. Their source is their home country that they're representing, that they are an ambassador for. And the economy can crash and shut down. And the ambassador's not thinking, oh no, what am I going to do? Everybody, the, the economy's terrible here. The, the, the market crashed there. You know, everyone's poor here. I don't want to go there. Why? Because their provision and their source is tied to their home country. You are in the world, but not of it. Your provision and your source is not limited to what you see here. But here's the problem that we have, is we get fixed on the seen realm that we're in rather than the unseen realm that we're connected to and tied to. And no matter what happens in the earth, we're not limited to those resources because we have a connection with the home country, heaven, our father. That's why Paul said uh, that you have uh, all things according to the world standards, the United States economy. To what happens with the stock market? No. He says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches. He's your provider. He's your source. You're an ambassador. You're just here as a representative. But your source and your connection and your provision is tied to heaven, not what's around you. We got to understand this. We're the government entity. The church is the government entity. The, the ambassadors, the representatives, and the embassy of heaven in the earth. That is who we are. We have to quit tying ourselves to this earth. We are, we, most of us are more connected to the earth and what we see happening here than we are to Jesus, who is our head and we are his body. That has got to change. This is, the, this is the part of these messages where the disconnect between Jesus and the church becomes the greatest. And I'll tell you why. Because we are more moved by what we see than what we can't see. That's why. The situations you live in on a daily basis, the jobs you work, 
and maybe they're not doing so well. Maybe you haven't had a raise in the last five years because of the economy. You can't get that house sold. You can't find the job that you really should be working. That's because you are fixed on the seen realm. But that's not your provision. That's not your source. You could lose your job tomorrow and it wouldn't matter because your source is still heaven. Your provision is still your father God who's taking care of you, who knows everything you need before you even have need of it. That's why he said, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink. Was Adam worried about what he's going to eat? Was Adam concerned with what he's going to drink? Was Adam concerned with what they're going to wear, where they're going to live, what they're going to do? No, his only concern was taking care of God's stuff, and God took care of him. God says, just take care of what I've put you in charge of, and you'll have everything you need. He said, see, I've given you every tree that bears fruit. I've got lakes and rivers running all up in the middle of this thing. You've got plenty to drink. You don't need to worry about what you're going to wear. It wasn't even a thought process. And you don't have to worry about what, where you're going to live. God didn't place him in the garden and said, you know, I'm not really a garden guy. I'm more of a mountain guy. Can you put me over in Colorado somewhere? Maybe Denver, the Rockies? No, he wasn't concerned with that. He's just concerned with wherever God puts me, that's where I'll be. You know, I'm more of a beach guy. Let's do the beaches. Can you get me a little closer to the water? No, he stuck them in a garden. But it was paradise because everything was taken care of because God was his source. He knew I have a king, I have a nation that... I'm not limited to what is around me. Jesus was the same way. Hey, Jesus, we got to pay taxes. Okay, Peter, go fish. No, you didn't hear me. We have to pay taxes. Yeah, go draw up a fish, and the first one you get, open its mouth, and then there you'll find what you need to pay for taxes for you and I. Because I'm not limited to this realm. This realm works for me. You don't work for it. Your source and your provision is not limited to where, to where you're at. There is no ambassador for United States, in no matter what country they're in, that is worried and concerned because of what's going on in their nation. They are not limited to that. And they know that. This isn't my source. I'm just here for the time. Man. And then the last thing, they're not, connect, they're not affected by the current environment. They're not affected by the current environment. They are in that environment, but they are in there with a backing and a provision that goes to their home nation and they know that if things were to get hostile that I have everything I need to overcome it or they'll get me out. See, we get in this earth realm and then everything in this realm affects us instead of us changing it. And there's a lot of death around us. But we let things like fear overtake us because we see things happening in schools today and, and us as parents we start wondering well, what if that happens to our school well then 
this realm has just affected you instead of you affecting it. Well, it's flu season, you know, it's going around, everybody's getting it. That is this realm affecting you instead of you changing it. Anybody seen that yellow stuff on vehicles lately? There's a lot of people concerned and anxious right now because this is that time of year. The past couple of years, I've had an issue right around this time. Two years in a row now. I don't know where it comes from. And just get these massive sinus infections. Well, I can either say, oh, no, it's, it's that time of year again. Oh, no, I hope, it, I hope it doesn't get to me. Okay, am I going to change it or is it going to change me? Am I going to allow that to take place or am I going to bind it? Am I going to loose the healing power of God and bind up sickness? Or am I going to allow sickness? Hey, we're the church. I've been given the power. I have authority. I have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That stuff doesn't affect me. I change it. John chapter 14. While you're turning to John chapter 14, I want Jimmy to throw up 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 up on the screen for me. This is just another verse that I want to look at. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That word chosen means called out of. That's literally what chosen means, picked out of. means you are in the middle of this and you are picked out of it. Not pulled out of it, picked out of it. That means among everything that is in this earth, we were chosen out of that to be his people, his own special people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Not a people that say one thing and do another. Not a people that go to church on, the, uh, on Sunday morning, but the whole rest of the week we give to the devil. No, his people, his nation, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now, we hardly do good to give him all of Sunday. We just give him the morning, and then the rest of the day is right back to us again. But as a church, we are not doing church, playing church, going to church. We are being the church. And I'll tell you right now, this isn't where you be the church. You be the church out there. Light in darkness, not light in light. This is where you come for instruction. This is where you come to be equipped. Pastors, evangelists, teachers, apostles, prophets are given for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. John chapter 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do. Why? Watch this. 
Why? Because I go to my Father. Because the head is leaving the earth and going to heaven, and the body has to continue to implement. The body has to continue to act on what the head wants to do. So you will do. What's he saying? Everything that I have been doing in the earth, you're doing. Because you are me in the earth when I leave the earth. So we are here not to be influenced, but to influence. We are here not to become our surroundings, but change our surroundings because of who we are. That is why we're here. We're here to be different. We're here to be changed. To change. So we can't change on the outside what we're unwilling to change on the inside. If we're not willing to confront the stuff in here, you won't go out there and change it. If we don't confront lifestyles in here, then those lifestyles will take place out there. If we don't confront uh, 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 mentalities and thought processes in here, then you'll go out there and take it out there, and we won't change anything. In fact, we'll go out there and we will conform to the world. But what did Paul say? Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Only his church is qualified to do his work. Only his church is qualified to do his work. Not because we put a sign that says church. Not because we play church, go to church, do church. Because we are the church that is connected to the head and connected to each other. Well, you know, we're... You know, the church is like family. You know, you know how it is with family. Sometimes those are the people that you disagree with the most. I didn't say we won't have disagreements. I said we will resolve them. And we won't let them go. And we won't let people come in that want to diffuse and bring division and separation and want to be divisive. This church won't have ten different ways to do one thing. We will have one way, his way, the only way. Well, this is how we did it at my last church. That was your last church. The Holy Spirit didn't say to do it here. We don't do it here. Because I have one way to get things done. His way, because we are his church. This is a church that will put full reliance on the Holy Spirit. I have a problem with people that say they rely on the Holy Spirit, but everything do, everything they do is led by a man and has an agenda that goes back to the natural. Last year I went to a conference and literally, literally listened to someone tell thousands, 3,000 people in an auditorium, that they have their services planned out to the second. And if somebody was to alter it or tweak it, it would light their hair on fire. I'm not even lying to you. 
Where is God's agenda in that? How are you his church when you're doing your thing? But, you know, the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us, you know, before him. I mean, God, you know, God doesn't have to do everything at the last minute. I, I, I just see someone that has a crutch on doing their, doing something their way. And they're afraid of getting too far out of the mold and the box and, and the comfortableness of having everything planned out to the T and just letting God move. I grew up in the 90s. And yes, maybe there were some services that got out of hand because people allowed the Holy Spirit to move. Maybe there were some chairs flipped over and people running around and jumping all over the place and singing songs for three hours. And maybe we should have been sitting down listening to the word at some point. But I still would never want to replace the Holy Spirit with my agenda. Why don't we just get it right? Why don't we just try to find the right way to do it? Instead of cutting out and saying, we won't lay hands on the sick in, in a service. If you want that done, we have a place for you to go before or after service. If you are sick, we have pastors that are waiting there praying for you. Because God can tell us before if someone is sick. What if he doesn't tell you till right now? It sounds like a crutch. It sounds like you were trying to justify you doing your thing and not having things get out of hand. Because once it gets out of your control, people will leave. People won't come back. We won't allow speaking in tongues in service. We don't, we don't do that. We won't allow the gifts of the Spirit to flow in operation. Because we don't want to be like the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that all they were doing was just speaking in tongues and nobody could understand what anybody was saying. And so we just had these hours and times of just everybody talking in words and nobody was edified, nobody was built up. And Paul said, I would rather speak to you uh, more in a language than you know than in tongues. But then we fail to look at how Paul fixed the situation. He didn't eradicate tongues. He didn't come in there and say, all right, when you're in public, you don't need to be talking in tongues at all. He said, make sure there's an interpreter. Make sure we do it with order. Don't just start spouting off tongues, one over here and one over here, and no one interprets, and we just go home and we have no idea what the Holy Spirit was doing. No, make sure, make sure you give time for someone to interpret. Don't let someone uh, just start spouting off tongues two or three times in a row and there's no interpretation. He corrected the issue. He didn't say, ah, just forget that whole tongues thing. It doesn't even work anyways. No, he said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He made that statement because he said, tongues is the most powerful thing on the face of the planet if you know how to use it properly. So no, I'm not getting up here and saying, if you have a tongue, save it. Come give it to me. We 
you supposed to do with that? We just literally have to go through here and just start ripping out pages. Well, I don't like that one. I don't like the way that works, and I don't like how they talk about it. Just start ripping it all out. Then we're no longer connected to the Word, who is Jesus, who is the head of the body, and we become a church that is dead because we have no head. We have to find out what his church looks like. His church. And I told y'all when we got into this, get rid of everything you know about church, everything you think about church and the way you used to do church. I'm not saying it was all wrong. I'm not saying it was all right. But I would rather get rid of all of it Find out what this says and then come back and say, okay, this was right. This was it. This was good. And get it right. That's what I would rather do. Because that's what Jesus said. He said, you can't put old wine into new wineskins. Or put new wine into old wineskins. You can't get the new wine of what his church is supposed to look like if you're still trying to picture it with what your church used to do. Well, we sang this many songs and we did this, and the pastor did this, and he would preach on this, and at Christmas he would do this, and we always had to play, and we always had this program, and then in the summer we would do this outreach, and throw it all out. Let's repent. If it was right, if it was right, we'll bring it back in. If it was wrong, thank you, God, for helping me see it done the right way. Learn how to be his church. In Valdosta, in your world, on your farms, in your schools, on your jobs, in your homes, in your communities, in your neighborhoods, in your subdivisions, at your kids' little league games, at the gym you work out at. We got to be His church. We are a government entity. We are the kingdom of God in the earth. And we're no longer powerless. We are powerful. Because he said, and I will give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We are no longer influenced, but we are influencers. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, you are raising up a church right here that will be identified as your church, a church that is connected to the head, a church that is connected to each other, a church that loves and values the word of God over anything else. We're not led by any agenda of man. We're only led by the Holy Spirit, that which you lead us to do, that which you lead us to say, that which you lead us uh, to overcome. Father, I thank you that you are raising up a body of believers that desires to be your church. In these last days, as it gets darker and darker, we will shine brighter and brighter because we'll be your church, a light in darkness. Your son Jesus